0: My favorite thing is doing mic tests.
1: Mic tests. Mic tests. This is on the podcast.
0: Oh, it? yeah. oh it's on the podcast. It's going to be on the podcast on it. now. now it. Yeah. <laughs> Damn it! You tricked me. That's right.
1: Oh my like swear. You can do whatever you want. Yeah. I get fined five thousand dollars by the FCC. That count as a swear word.
0: What's a swear word standard um, for podcasting in America? I
1: have no idea. Fuck. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Have you seen the um, it was it Mark Cuban, he was at an esports event, no? And he was like, it was for charity, so they had celebrities coming.
0: Mark Cuban is the shark tank guy, right? Yeah, yeah. okay, gotcha. yeah,
1: yeah. He sold his company to Yahoo and made a billion dollars or something, but yeah. he um, he swore and they they were commenting on it and they were like, yeah, like every time you swear, like you have to, you know, it's like it's like a ten or fifteen thousand dollar fine or something. And he said, and where does that go? And he's like, to charity, he's like, so if I swear again, it goes to charity, and they go, yeah, and he goes, fuck it. <laughs>
0: Amazing, <laughs> That's pretty cool. I
1: thought that was pretty cool. So, anyways, okay, yeah, so um, I am I am joined here um, by Abby, I don't know your last name, Mitchell. Mitchell, I'm sorry, me okay, a whole two days, and you don't remember my
0: last name. I am
1: joined here by Abby Mitchell. I, I was testing, I don't uh-huh, know, uh huh. Anyways, Abby is the uh, what the developer advocate at IBM in quantum. Uh, intelligence or what, like quantum, (laughs) what is it?
0: So I I am a developer advocate. I'm one of of quite a few now. Um, And yes, I work in the quantum computing department um, at IBM.
1: Yeah, that sounds like very impressive.
0: I think people think it's very impressive. But really what I a lot of what I do is, is pretty much just the standard developer advocacy things. It's just our audience is maybe slightly more in that scientific domain than yeah. maybe your average developer is.
1: So, So like, <laughs> what what is quantum computing? Like, what does that actually mean?
0: Yeah, so <laughs> um, it's, uh, well, it kind of, it depends. Um, the kind of field of quantum computing, you know, basically refers to this kind of, It's mostly in research and development phase at the moment, Um, you know, you can't expect anytime soon for like your MacBook to be replaced by a quantum computer. You know, we're talking more in the kind of the the supercomputer realm Um, and quantum computers are, the idea is that they are essentially um, computers that instead of working on a classical kind of format of a binary system, zero and ones, um, quantum computers can leverage um, kind of fundamental principles of quantum mechanics to basically, well, the hope is to um, do much more uh, powerful kind of computation and kind of solve problems much more efficiently that um, even, you know, some of the biggest supercomputers classically are currently able to do. So, in a nutshell, that's kind of. What
1: okay <laughs> so, okay wow that's okay
0: so imagine a supercomputer that instead of using binary um, a binary system uses like subatomic particles and quantum mechanics principles to work
1: so is there I, I don't know if this is going too far too fast but is there is there like interference that could happen with quantum yeah. computing
0: well, okay, it depends what you mean by interference, because there is a quantum physics principle called interference and quantum computers will leverage principles like interference, as well as uh, principles like superposition and entanglement. And that's kind of how you can think about like the different, if you, if you have any kind of quantum physics background, if you're familiar with those concepts, then those are you know really intrinsic to the way that quantum computers work. Um, for those of you, you know, maybe like me who (laughs) haven't actually, you know, done physics since high school, maybe you need a bit of a refresher. Um, you know, one of the metaphors that I like to use and, and you should always, you know, take metaphors with a pinch of salt because they do, you know, abstract things away quite a lot, but the way that I like to kind of compare a quantum computer to a classical computer is in terms of when you're flipping a coin, um, you have you know heads or a tails so if you you know think about that in terms of classical computing a head or a tail you can think of as like binary zero or one Mm -hmm. so every kind of bit on your computer can only be in one of those two states zero or one okay but with a quantum computer because we use things called qubits or quantum bits we're not working in that same binary system anymore so instead you can imagine it instead that now we flip the coin and it's spinning through the air And like, what state is that in then? Is it a zero? Is it a one? It's kind of like neither, kind of both at the same time. but So like constantly changing? Essentially, yeah. Or it's more like, instead of encoding information in like a head or a tail, we can encode information in that entire spinning system. Because electrons or whatever your subatomic particle is that you're working with, um, you know, are these kind of like very kind of complex quantum systems that are in constant state and you can never really tell exactly what it's doing at any one moment. But we can kind of use tricks like interference to kind of like change how that coin is spinning through the air. And then when it lands on the ground again, it comes up as either a zero or one, but because we've interfered with it, Um, you know, it's, we can kind of control a bit more how, how it's going to end up landing or how we're going to end up getting a classical result from it.
1: I think, yeah. Wow. So (laughs) I, I, I think, so we're recording this at Stanford University and I think I've gained like the aura of Stanford and now like the first thing that popped into my head when you were talking about that was like, I think it's Descartes, the philosopher that would say like, if you look at a stream, it's, it's never the same stream twice.
0: Yeah. I think I have no idea about philosophers but that sound, that sounds like someone with a fancy name like Descartes yeah. would have said.
1: Yeah.
0: Um but yeah and that also kind of, you know, almost metaphorically kind of hints at another interesting concept of of quantum physics um which is do you know this kind of idea of like if you observe something you you fundamentally change the yeah, state of the ob- where it's the at. observer effect. Exactly, yes. Um, you see, you do, you do know stuff. You do know quantum stuff. <laughs> um, <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's very, yeah, you're being very generous. <laughs> yeah,
0: so you can kind of think of a qubit as, um, you know, when it's in this, you know, this quantum state, in this superposition state, so our coin is flipped in the air and it's spinning, um, you know, our act of, we can't observe it, we can't, you know, get any result from it until we've actually kind of like it's landed on the ground and we're looking at it. So in order for us to see it, we have to force it to resolve itself into a classical state. So in quantum computing, this is when we do a measurement. So if we have a bunch of qubits in our quantum uh, machine, they're all kind of like spinning around in the superposition state. We're interfering with it. We're firing a lot of like electromagnetic waves, waves at it, putting it into funky other quantum states. The moment that we actually want to get any results out, we have to observe the quantum we have to observe the qubits. We have to do a measurement on those qubits. And that act of measurement forces those qubits to then resolve themselves into um, a final state. And then that state we can record on classical bits. so we'll get outputs in zeros and ones. Okay. That.
1: So <laughs> I used to think I was smart um, <laughs> So, okay, so you know how some people When they use a computer, like sometimes this is like, I don't know my mom or friends or whatever and like it d- doesn't work Yeah, and so is it then I come and i'm like, oh I, did you push the button or did you re-, like Is that is there any sort of relation to like the like, I don't know th- This is this is this is a stretch but like observing that like messing up the computer, isn't it sort of inherent to like this quantum computing that just by observing it, you're going to, like sort of, it's not gonna work the right way? Or is that a big challenge? Or is this like a ridiculous question? I don't know.
0: No, so you're, you're kind of going about it in like a bit of a roundabout way. But one thing that is, you know, one thing that is clear is that these quantum states, these qubits are so fragile that in an ideal world, we would like the only influence that we have on these quantum states to be the actions that we're taking, either you know, um, doing those operations on the qubits or to affect the outcome or doing the act of measuring. But in reality, it's not like that. These things are so fragile that they can get really easily disrupted just by the rest of the environment around it. So that could be changes in temperature or, you know, a light breeze or, you know, any other kind of tiny fluctuation in the surrounding environment can have these like kind of, you know, pseudo observation effects and then, you know, cause our qubit to, we call decohere and become unusable because it's, you know, been affected by that environment. Um, and so that's why if you've ever seen a picture of a quantum computer, they're these kind of like big machines that look like fancy chandeliers inside almost. And that's because it requires a lot of um, a lot of equipment just to kind of like keep these teeny tiny um, qubits, you know, in a happy state without letting the the rest of the environment, you know, affect it too much.
1: Okay, I, you know, like. I think one of the first podcasts I did on the show was about Kubernetes and I thought that would be overwhelming or confusing. <laughs> and this is uh this is like a whole new level. Yeah. You're very good at explaining it, but I think it's like it takes everything to a completely new perspective and a totally new world. But
0: yeah, but honestly, like for me, I, you know, I felt exactly the same as you. I didn't come from a quantum physics background. Yeah. To me like I came to this from a very software focused background. So for me, until I started like reading code, I I, even to this day, when people ask me like, how does a quantum computer work? The closer we get to the hardware, the like less confident I can explain how it works. But if you get me talking about the code side of stuff, then I'm like, okay, well we have an SDK. It's written in Python. I'm a dev, I know Python. Now it's suddenly at this, you know, abstraction layer that I as a regular dev can, you know, engage with, you know, more easily. And that is kind of where my kind of role within DevRel kind of intersects with this, by okay. trying to kind of demystify the science yeah. around it a little bit and open it up more to so, developers.
1: So, okay, that actually makes things a lot more clear for me at least. So. So you you guys provide an I uh, sorry an SDK mm-hmm. and I just write a normal programming language I just interface with this SDK and mm-hmm. then I'm like doing quantum computing to solve like <laughs> crazy ass problems right.
0: That is I would say that is the ultimate goal.
1: Okay, we're not there. One
0: yet. one caveat yes is that it's it is in this kind of R and D phase. Okay. we're still kind of you know we're only dealing with you know maximum a couple of hundred qubits at the moment and those qubits you know don't last a very long amount of time if you compare it to like how many gigabytes you have just on your iphone you know you're talking about thousands and thousands of, of bits um and you know for us in quantum computing we're still ibm actually i think just this week announced that um their latest processor has i think 433 qubits um which is a lot of qubits but still not a lot in terms of like what can we actually do with these machines that's useful? Um, so yeah, like ideally, yes, we want to get to a stage where sort of like the machine learning community, where like your average um, you know developer doesn't need to be an expert in the theory behind machine learning, but they can still, you know use machine learning libraries right. and build really useful tools with those libraries. Right. Um, that's the ultimate goal, but with quantum computer, we're still, you know, we're, we're still developing the hardware to be right. able to get to that stage.
1: So who, okay, two questions. One, who's making the hardware? And then mm-hmm. secondly, um, the 400, you said 430, 433? 433,
0: 433 I think, okay. yes. So
1: 433 <laughs> qubits, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Does that compare to a, a processor that we have today, like a standard, like I don't know, instruction set binary processor?
0: So you can compare sort of, We're still, we are at IBM at least operating on a a kind of timeline similar to like Moore's law Mm. where like every year we're doubling the amount of of qubits that we have. But I think it's not entirely like a one-to-one kind of comparison because um, for a number of reasons. The first reason is that like an individual qubit can technically encode more information than an average bit. So it's not fair to say that like, 1,000 qubits equals a 1,000 binary bits because right. those 1,000 qubits will, you know, you can store like much more um, information, like two to the n amount, where n is the number of qubits actually, I think. Um, uh, but also there are certain, um, There are other limitations with those qubits as well. Like your pure number of qubits doesn't necessarily indicate how useful that quantum computer is. There are many other, um, factors to consider as well. So you could have, you know, a very large number of qubits, but if they only last like a very short amount of time before they decohere and destroy themselves, that's less useful maybe than like a machine with maybe 200 qubits as opposed to 400, but it they last longer, so to speak. Okay. Um, so there's a bunch of different metrics. Numbers of, bit, of qubits, I think are like nice flashy numbers and they are a benchmark for sure. Um, but I think also the headlines just like to have like a nice neat number, like number of qubits is something easy to, to kind of understand. So it gets stuck in the headlines a lot. But um, yeah, I would say just kind of be beware about what does that number actually mean
1: right okay so <clears throat> what i i i've i've done a little bit of research like great <laughs> <laughs> if you look at my search history it's <laughs> what is quantum computing <laughs> and so the, the the follow-up question to that is like wh- what are we using that for now like i read some stuff about like um, I think like protein folding or something, mm. or the, like sequencing genome or. What, like, yeah. what are you doing now?
0: So this is a this is a good um, good question. Right now, like the 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 TLDR is is not much. At the moment, we're we're really just trying to explore what is possible. Um, the way I like to think about it is, you know, if you think back to the early days of classical computing. People had no idea where in in 1950, 1960, people didn't know what, you know, computers would look like by 2022, you know? So much of that stuff was figured out along the way. And so we're still in that very early stage with quantum computers. We, you know, we don't know where, where, where it's gonna go, what the eventual use cases are going to be. We're exploring different areas right now. So chemistry, for example, is a really um, an area with a lot of research going into it right now. And it's one of the ones that I personally am most excited about, um, possibly because I, you know, I'm a little bit of a chemistry nerd. I did some of that at at uni and that was where I first heard about quantum computers, actually. Um, And that mainly comes about because where we think that quantum computers could have potentially... Um, you know, really useful applications are in those areas of science and computing where classical computers are kind of just not doing well. (laughs) And chemistry is one of those areas because um, ideally we would want to be able to understand how molecules work a lot better than we currently do. And it would be great if to like understand how a drug molecule works. We didn't have to go through, years of like kind of synthesis and testing Um, and trials just to understand how certain mechanisms work. But, you know, and a lot of that comes from the fact that we don't have a lot of data about individual molecules um, already that we can just plug into a standard algorithm on a standard computer and figure out how it works. Um, We, because there's so many variables in that Problem. If you think about even just even just you know simulating a, a water molecule on a classical computer is really computationally expensive, um, and a lot of modern chemistry programs will leverage like GPUs and high performance computers even to just like simulate very small molecules. So we very quickly hit that ceiling with classical computers where we can't simulate stuff better. Um, and that's why people are so kind of excited about the potential for quantum computing in spaces like chemistry, because quantum computers, you know, have a lot more potential to like push, push beyond the current ceiling that we're hitting with classical computers, basically.
1: Okay, so now I have so many questions.
0: I know, it was such a rambly answer to your question. <laughs> no,
1: it's okay. So I always thought it was funny, like, you, you said it was really hard, like, a lot of computational power is required to... Like model a drop of water, and I, I remember in college uh, I went to RIT and we had like this this glass room which was like a little data center and it was for like doing something with like the gravity. It was like like measuring gravity and it was like thousands of servers. My mm-hmm. favorite part about it was all those servers were bolted to the floor. I thought that was hilarious. <laughs> it was just a bit of irony. But um, I, you mentioned like like going through the tests of, of like I don't know a new prescription drug and the first thing that came to my mind was like the COVID vaccine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Was there any like I I know we might be far away from that now, Mm -hmm. but if there happened to be, you know, another pandemic Mm -hmm. and quantum computing was so much further ahead, Mm -hmm. does that mean that we would be able to make like a vaccine with higher trust and like safety a lot faster because of quantum computing?
0: I think what it would do is it would be you would be able to identify earlier on in the process if a if a particular drug had potential of success a lot earlier. In current um, kind of drug development, I think it's something like um, 90% of like drugs, you know, fail before they ever reach the market. And the majority of those failures happen only in like the very last stage of clinical trials. So ideally, if you could have better kind of computational methods Earlier on in the prog- process, before you've tested it out on, you know, real cells on, um, you know, on real people, if you could simulate um, computationally and really understand what's happening to a molecule on a computer, um, you know, that would mean that you could identify, okay, this one is has a higher chance of success, so we should prioritize this lead instead of other ones. Okay. Whereas right now and there are computational chemists that do do this right now with classical computers um but like i said earlier they're using software that just you know at a certain point like you need to start using you know supercomputers and even then like you can't even you know if you're thinking about proteins which are massive like even just understanding you know the structure of a protein you have so many like thousands of atoms like making up a single protein so simulating something like that accurately um you know, is very difficult. And there are methods that, you know, are being produced in this, you know, in other fields like machine learning to counteract that. Like I think you mentioned protein folding earlier. Um, That's something they're looking into a lot in machine learning research at at the moment as well. Um, So it's a very like, it's a hot area of research in computing generally, um, just because it, it's such an interesting problem and classically very difficult to solve. So quantum computing is where they're also kind of directing some of that that research energy towards. Um, so thinking about like a future pandemic, uh, it depends, I mean, if the next pandemic is, is, you know, next year, probably won't be able to have a quantum computer to help you out. Um, you know, maybe hopefully, and, you know, at a future, hope, well, hopefully it's a long time before we get another, um, pandemic, but hopefully by then, you know, we have some, you know, functional quantum computing power that could, that could help.
1: Okay. That's, uh, that's promising.
0: Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah huh so
1: what's the challenge in making the hardware
0: oh there's so many challenges how long how long do we have for this podcast maybe not long (laughs) enough (laughs) um there's so so many um there's i guess like the crux of it comes down to you know these qubits themselves being so fragile you know we're not working with um you know electrical pulses like you know, light switches that you turn on and off the same way a classical computer is. We're working with, you know, teeny tiny electromagnetic um, waves basically, or particles depending on, I don't know, what, what physics we're talking about and what specific hardware we're doing. But when you're getting down to that micro level, when you're, when you're entering into that quantum realm where physics doesn't really work the same as in, you know, classical, realms um then it just becomes like so much more difficult to to maintain things in that state that we want it to
1: it might sound like a ridiculous question but if
0: there's no ridiculous questions well
1: (laughs) you don't know me well enough um (laughs) no if you were to if you were to like put these like quantum computers in like outer space would would Mm -hmm. that help Or would that make things harder?
0: I I think that would make it a lot. Okay. Oh, I see what you're getting at. Because you're technically in a vacuum, so you have less, like, other shit to deal with. I mean, you have to
1: worry about, like, solar flares and stuff. Well, you
0: have to deal with... There's probably a lot of other gunk in space that would make it... I think it would make it more difficult, purely because you need actual humans to, like, build the thing and, you know... Plug the things in and like turn it on and off. You know when it starts working. That's not how you debug a quantum computer. But I I don't know. I'm not I'm not a hardware specialist. It doesn't work but, to turn
1: on and off.
0: Well, I don't know. <laughs> maybe maybe they do. I wouldn't be surprised if if some of my colleagues have had to do that a few times. But but you get what I mean? Like you need a human there to like turn it off and on again when it stops working, right? So and getting the humans into space and then like dealing with all the human stuff about, you know, surviving in space, I feel like that would be the, that would be super difficult. So for the time being, I think keeping them on earth is probably the best (laughs) solution. (laughs) It's an interesting thought experiment though. I'm not sure. I'm going to go ask my boss when I get back. Like, have you thought about putting it in space?
1: (laughs) Yeah, because they like, they try like growing plants and stuff on the International Space Station and they like, I don't know, they send animals up there and I don't know, but maybe we're like to, you know, you, you see get that the if
0: monkeys you... to, to keep the quantum computer alive.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's some, there was some movie recently I watched that went, that went wrong, but uh, <laughs> yeah, it was like a monkey and another animal and I forgot what movie it was, but anyways. Um, okay. So that's very interesting. So the future, like the ideal scenario is. You take this SDK, you write, like, Python or whatever mm-hmm. the language is, and then you can do, like, quantum stuff. And it's, like, a is IBM trying to get to that place where, like, to be, like, the, I don't know, the AWS or the, like, cloud provider of quantum where you can just do it from your laptop, but it's running in, like, you know, real um, quantum machines?
0: Yeah, I mean, I, obviously, I just, I just work in, you know, the DevRel space of that (laughs) so i can't speak for the long-term strategy of the whole department Um, but i think that you know ultimately where we see kind of the the development of the the sdk is we want to get to that stage where people will use quantum uh, backends the same way a similar model to how we currently use like gpus right like you would write your code but then like you would just leverage like a gpu when you needed that extra processing power and instead you would use like a qpu right when you need that particularly computationally you know expensive work so you would write your normal your normal python code maybe you're like i don't know simulating some molecule or doing some like particularly intense like machine learning task or something and like your classical machines just are not doing it for you so then you want to call out to a a, a quantum machine to to help alleviate some of that yeah um i think that's probably where ultimately it makes the most sense to go. But in the interim, there's a huge kind of, um, you know, research community that has, you know, grown up around this. And our current plan is to, you know, we're trying to create software that is usable right now for people that are currently researching uh, quantum computers, whether that's, you know, experimenting with them to help make them better, whether it's looking into new algorithms that we could run on quantum machines, whether it's looking at different applications in industry. um, And all of, you know, there's a a huge community of people that are doing active research in the space, and they need software to do their research. So that's a big kind of um, area of focus right now and then hopefully in the future once they've made all their amazing discoveries and um, then we can get to that model of like your average developer can use it in their regular work as well.
1: So so there might be a chance for me okay.
0: Yeah I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> so so how many other
1: uh, you know besides IBM how many other companies or mm-hmm. like I don't know research like facilities or, or university like how many people are are studying or building or trying to like create the future of quantum computing right now like who's doing it
0: um a lot of people um so um i don't have i mean exactly 712 people (laughs) (laughs) and then joe decided to retire so now it's only 711 there you go um (laughs) uh, it's hard to put an exact number on it because the field is so broad and like research you know kind of ebbs and flows and goes in different directions but pretty much every kind of major tech company that you've heard of, Mm. has in their R&D department, some people looking into quantum computing, either from that hardware perspective or that software perspective, possibly both. There's also a lot of, um, you mentioned kind of universities, like academic institutions, where you have a lot of um, researchers, Um, PhD students, um, lecturers and stuff all kind of working towards you know quantum research specifically um, in both kind of the physics departments and the computer science departments Um, and they will normally have like partnerships with a tech company to have access to a quantum computer or they might um, have a quantum computer themselves installed on their premise possibly. Um, You also have kind of government agencies that are of course getting involved in this, they, you know, looking into, like, the future um, of innovation um, and things like that. You also have, there's also a, a quite a vibrant startup kind of network. Um, they don't oh. normally operate in such, like, a broad stack, um, but they normally will focus on, like, one area, either, like, one specific piece of hardware or a certain type of software aspect. They won't necessarily do, like, the whole stack. Um, I would say IBM is probably unique and like, okay, take this with a pinch of salt because I'm at IBM, so I have to say good things about it, but we have, um, the kind of the fullest stack, right? So we do hardware and we do all the kind of cloud infrastructure in between, and we do the open source software layer on the very top. And we do education and outreach and partnerships with academia and startups. We have, um. You know, it's really like overwhelming, and it's quite challenging from like a devrel perspective as well to try and like it's such a broad um like or such a deep stack, I guess that that IBM does, which I think is probably more than possibly than anyone that I know of doesn't you know does as much as we do.
1: Okay, so what what like if you can if you had a magic wand and, <laughs> and you could be like I want I want this to happen now, what would it what would that be like what like with quantum computing, obviously.
0: I I guess like the, you know, for me, I would, if I could wave my magic wand, I would like us to reach what we call quantum advantage, which is that moment when either the hardware is good enough or we find good enough algorithms that we can, you know, definitively say here we can and we are using quantum computers to do stuff better than the best classical equivalent. We are not there yet. If you see any headlines that say that we have reached quantum advantage or quantum supremacy, as of what's the date today? The the eleventh eleventh of November. As of you know, as of this date, we have not reached quantum oh. advantage yet. Do <laughs> not read any believe any articles that say we have. If um you know if you do come across them, people like to kind of. I think to their own horn about how much progress they've made. Um, But yeah, if I could wave a magic wand, it would be to genuinely achieve quantum advantage. Because at that point, then like it starts to become, you know, really, I mean, it's it's very exciting to work in at the moment anyway, but when we can actually start, you know, making a real impact with the work that's coming out from doing stuff on quantum computers, that's going to be the most exciting point for me.
1: Yeah. So like, are, are you afraid that like, you know, the computers will take over?
0: (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm more, I'm more, I'm more, um, I'm, I'm more worried that like we won't reach quantum advantage, that, that quantum computing will be, you know, like fusion, you know, something that people were dreaming about for ages and like never actually happened. Um, I don't think we're. it's going to be like that. Um, but you know, there's still a possibility, but this is a, you know, it's a research, um, area right now.
1: So what's the biggest challenge in getting there?
0: Ugh, like everything <laughs> so much um our backlog of stuff to do is is so long um I think that the first part is obviously that the hardware um I as a software developer the developer advocate can't do much about that so i'm you know my hands are tied until um, the hardware becomes stable enough that we can do things Um, but one other area is also the development of algorithms that can run on these machines um, that actually provide some advantage Um, there are some algorithms that already exist um Like Shaw's algorithm, like Grover's algorithm, which, you know, theoretically we say will provide an advantage when we have a certain amount of of qubits and like a certain quality of qubits, which we haven't reached yet. But I think also we want to, you know, if we can find better algorithms out there that can use fewer qubits. Um, or you know, approach the problems in a different way. Like that could also be a path to to quantum advantage for sure.
1: So, are people putting like? I, I'm not a hardware person. I, I,
0: Neither am I. <laughs> I go to
1: I go to the Apple Store and buy a laptop. Like, <laughs> Literally, like most people. But like, you know how like there's multiple multiple cores or there's like multi multi CPU computers. Is there an equivalent to that in quantum computing where they're just like chaining these things together because there's only so many qubits per mm. yeah
0: processor? yeah for sure. And that's like one of the strategies that um. IBM has. I'm. I think that's what we have for. I'm not sure if it's the the latest processor. Um. But. But yeah. So you could like potentially like stick different um like qu- quantum uh computing kind of processes together. Um. But the 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 tricky thing is is that for um qubits and for um. Kind of quantum computation the real value comes in can you um entangle your qubits together so the connectivity between those mm. qubits um so you don't need every qubit to be connected to every other qubit all the time but you need to make sure that like the most qubits are connected in the ways that make the most sense so um and the more connections you have the more difficult it is to kind of keep those qubits alive and stop them like destroying themselves so there's always going to be a trade-off with how well connected your machines are to you know how good the quality of your computation is going to be, at least currently.
1: Okay. Yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm like, I've learned so much in the last 30 minutes. <laughs> I'm still trying to like understand everything that's happening um, before like the coin hits the ground or whatever, right?
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> um, um, so yeah, it's really, so like, how does somebody get into this? Like maybe you're like, I don't know, yeah. in high school or, yeah, or going absolutely. to college or, or or you're not. You're like, I'm bored with my job. I wanna try something else. How do you get into this?
0: Yeah, so um, <laughs> there is, so obviously I, I'm a developer advocate. I work within um, the developer advocacy team at IBM Quantum. And what our team uh, works on is, is, is exactly that, like a large group of the people that are our target audience are students and people trying to kind of get into this field so we provide a lot of resources whether it's um, online uh, textbook we have a textbook called the kids kit textbook we have a youtube channel and a lot of that we we aim at the fullest kind of um well i say like the broadest amount of audiences possible so we produce content for that first learner we've we've run workshops with high schoolers before we have um you know student groups we have events like purely for undergrads um and then we moving further towards that if maybe you have a like a computer science background or a physics background you have your bachelor degree and you're going into your masters or thinking about phd we have content and programs specifically for that group so I think at, at IBM we really focus we we're really focusing on on students a lot because we want to empower the future workforce of quantum computing practitioners. Um, so there's a ton of free resources online that um, maybe we can like link in the bottom of the yeah, link in the show notes or something. Yes. Um, So you can, and and I use these materials as well because I don't have a quantum physics background. I'm coming from the software perspective. So for me, like I had to learn what a qubit was from scratch. I had to learn, you know, what all these quantum concepts were. And one of the reasons that I was so keen to come and like move into the Qiskit team was because they produced this amazing content for people of kind of any background to really like jump in and understand stuff like from the basics, all for free, by the way. Um, and in various different formats, whether it's video or text or like uh, coding uh, labs that you can do. So we've got you covered, anyone who's listening who wants to get into this. <laughs> yeah,
1: uh, I'm happy to put uh, you know, any of the links or YouTube videos or whatever in the show notes so anyone can check them out. I think it's really interesting. That's, that's great that you guys do that. Random question, pineapple on pizza?
0: Oh, I, I, this is controversial, but I think it's great. Why not? Why not? Okay. So Why are you trying to limit me with just, you know, the like approved standards, put banana on your pizza. Why not? Have you done put, that? I have actually, it was pretty good. Bacon, banana and onion on a pizza.
1: That's, it's very interesting.
0: Yeah. <laughs> See, suddenly pineapple and pizza doesn't sound so bad.
1: <laughs> You're very right. Yeah, it could be worse is, is, what, exactly. is what I learned. It could be worse. <laughs> okay. Well, on that note, um, is there any, any any um, how, how can people follow you and, and reach out to you?
0: Um, so they can follow me. I'm on Twitter um, and GitHub. I have the same handle, which we can put in the, yep. the show notes. It's javabster, J-A-V-A-B-S-T-E-R. Um, or, yeah, or off go. I'm actually hosting some stuff on the YouTube channel these days as well. So you awesome. can come watch me. I do, um, I focus on uh, a lot of GitHub tips and tricks at the moment. Because um, we have a, this, that's another thing actually we haven't really touched on is we have a lot of our audience is also researchers who are maybe not that familiar with the code side of things. Ah. I think you and me, we come from the very software y yeah. side of stuff. Um, and we're like, what is this quantum things? What is, what is qubits? But there's a lot of people that are, who they know what a qubit is, you know, in and out, back to front. They can like derive all this like linear algebra easily in their heads. But then when it comes to the code, like writing a Python for loop, that's, that's like a big deal. Ah. So we have like a significant portion of our audience where we're trying to like, you know, get them more comfortable with the code side of stuff. Um, so yeah, I forget, I forget how I got into this tangent.
1: No, that's (laughs) (laughs) okay. So, so you're doing a lot of videos on that topic.
0: Yes, exactly. That's yeah. So that's my kind of focus within our developer advocacy squad is I try to bring content. I'm not going to be able to teach a. Quantum researcher, how to do their research better. That is not my goal. You probably should actively not take my advice. <laughs> if I'm trying to teach you how to write your paper, that's just no. What I do, what I can do though, is help the researchers, the people that are actively, you know, trying to push this field forward, help make the the code side of it slightly you know, less daunting because like you and me can sit here and be like, oh my God, like quantum stuff is like, oh, like for us as software developers, it sounds so out there and abstract, but then to like the physicists that are dealing with that to them, that stuff is, is, is easy is trivial to them. Like talking about, I don't know, the intricacies of how Python works or, you know, any other random kind of code concepts or what? even what is GitHub? Like what is what is a push and a fork yeah. and a fetch, you know? Like that is the stuff that's, that, that, you know, they really struggle with, which to us is like our bread and butter. Um, so yeah, I think that's one of the things that I've learned the most from like moving into this sector is that, <laughs> you know, it's, it's easy if you're not experienced in a certain discipline to think that wow that thing is like way beyond you but then you know you could have some knowledge that people in that field think is really you know high level and and challenging so yeah everyone's just has their own kind of scope and you know we all just we none of us know what we're doing basically is what I'm trying to say (laughs) we're all just figuring it out as we go along (laughs) and (laughs) I my job is to try and like help you know bring the skills that I have to this um you know to this field and and hopefully help some people
1: it'd be really cool as you can totally put on your LinkedIn like I help quantum like geniuses like with their computers
0: (laughs) literally
1: (laughs) (laughs) okay on that note is there any anything you would like to plug or any any shout outs you'd like to give before we wrap this up um
0: uh no hi thanks for listening um <laughs> I don't know. I was I, I didn't prepare for this. <laughs> you were just like, let's talk about quantum. Like, yeah, I didn't think beyond that. Yeah. I was like, um, oh go read the Kiskit textbook, um, go watch the Kiskit YouTube channel um and go run circuits on our quantum computers. There we go. Are they okay. free? Is it free to use? Yeah, there's we have some free tiers. So we have like a mm-hmm. up to 7 qubit machines. You we have free I, I really should have plugged this sooner. Whoa, it's still here. <laughs> um yeah, so up to <laughs> up to 7 qubit machines Is that a lot? are available. Um I mean that's
1: no, seven that's more not, than I have. That, that's, so That's
0: not that much, but considering like, you know, Three or four years ago we had like one qubit available and, know,
1: that and, like so,
0: and that was like and that was like wow we have a qubit that we can access via the cloud like oh, wow. that was that that was like mind-blowing at the time so now having like seven whole qubits available for free yeah. for anyone to use like that, that that's pretty fucking cool yeah. yeah sorry i swore again um so yeah but if you want to do anything like more serious you're gonna need more qubits than that and then there are like more paid tiers and um, then you'll, yeah. But I would recommend like playing around with the, the free ones first.
1: Okay, cool. That sounds awesome. Well, I, 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 thank you very much for your time. I've <laughs> learned a tremendous amount and now I have so many more questions. I'm gonna be thinking about this the whole drive home. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I think this was great. Thank you for, for joining the podcast.
0: Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah,
1: awesome.